This is Erica in Edmonton, Shannon in Durham, and Chip in Durham. Welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 110, Objects at Rest. I think that may be one of the most appropriate titles we have seen so far, because by the end of this episode, we... we kind of really have come to a bit of a rest. B5 doesn't exactly seem to be going out with a bang, um, but I wouldn't quite call it a whimper either. How do you guys think this functioned as a uh, penultimate episode? Well, especially given that we already know the final episode was recorded some time ago. Well, uh, in point of fact, uh, Miss Einstein, uh, (laughs) we've actually got a penultimate. This is kind of sort of the penultimate penultimate episode. Well, of the show, it's definitely a penultimate episode. Um, it was definitely I, we, designed we... to um, close the main action. Uh, this this was the this was certainly it felt like the kind of goodbye episode that you see when a show knows it's coming to an end and is uh, planning a graceful conclusion. And yet, it's not the it didn't have the punch that Objects in Motion did at a lot of points. Uh, it, it felt like Objects in Motion was the first wave of departures. And then... Yeah, this, and is, then... Yeah, this is different, I think, because um, there's a clear tone of life goes on in this one. They are not just exiting, they're passing torches. Yes, yes, uh, there is that. And I wonder if some of it might actually have to do with the fact that it is not the last episode of Babylon 5. We've got a TV movie that we're going to have to deal with, and we'll talk about that later. But in terms of when this aired on TNT, this was the episode before, the week before the last, very last episode of Babylon 5, uh, of which we will say nothing. But it feels like this one pulls some of the punches that you would expect in a final episode because it's not a final episode. There is a passing of the torch and things going on, and it feels quieter, if that makes any sense. There's not a lot of resolution. There is continuation. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm trying to picture what this would have felt like if, for whatever, you know, reason, this had been the last episode. The, The montage at the end, you know, as Sheridan is talking about various people, and we get shots of them uh, mostly taken from that episode. I'm trying to decide if that would have felt more impactful. And I'm not sure because as we see, there's several plot points that are left. Like, you know, things are going to continue happening is what it it, it, it is really what it feels like. Because, you know, this is of of all episodes to have this attempted, not exactly murder, but, um, (laughs) You know, that manslaughter. Yeah. That, yeah. To have Lanier's attempted manslaughter of Sheridan in what is, in theory, your very last episode feels really weird as far as pacing is concerned. So, you know, if we were thinking of this as the very last episode, that would be sticking out like a sore thumb. And I'm I'm not sure JMS would have written it this way if he didn't have um, one more episode to come. Yeah. This episode sets up several things to deal with in the future uh you know the question of you know what's going to happen to Lanier and Lanier vowing that he will see Delin again there is the question of the keeper in the urn <laughs> and that's one heck of a thing to leave hanging out there and 
fans don't know if the next episode's going to resolve any of these or not at the time. You know, if you're watching it in real time, I bet Steven has all kinds of questions about about what is to come. Yeah, I mean, because he knows that the next episode is one that was not filmed after this episode, right. that it was filmed at the end of series four or season four. So he is, yeah, his take was sort of, you know, I knew that the very last episode was, or I assumed that the very last episode was going to be a coda of some sort. And he's like, yeah, but then this episode just felt like a coda to the the episode that came before it. He just, he was, he was honestly quite disappointed with this episode. He just felt it was, it, hmm. it, it, it didn't really do anything for him. Hmm. Um, I, I have to disagree, uh, but again, I've been here before, and there are some things in this episode that work better than others. But uh, I had the trembly lip thing. I did have the sobbing thing at a couple of points uh, during this episode, uh, and I'm sure when we get into when we get into it, um, we'll debate those. But um, it's it it doesn't hit me over the head with feels the way objects in motion did at several points, but when it worked for me, it worked profoundly well. And I have been waiting for one particular shot <laughs> in this episode mm-hmm. for five yep. years. Yeah. Well, we will definitely get to that. Before we do that, let's do our, our little catch-up on the entire entirety of the season, the series. <laughs> so, if this is your first you episode of Babylon 5, welcome! <laughs> yeah. Oof. What a place to start. Uh, so, so yeah, here, here's what you need to know going into this episode. Babylon 5 is a space station in neutral territory that's home to a quarter million humans and aliens. It was created by the humans in partnership with the Mimbari to help ensure positive relations between the species. It was our last best hope for peace. Then, during the Shadow War, it was our last best hope for victory. When that succeeded, it became our best hope for forging a new alliance, and it mostly succeeded in that, too. But time marches on and change is inevitable. Many of the people we've come to know and love, in fact, all the ones who were there from the beginning, have either moved on or are planning to very soon. And that brings us to Objects at Rest, in which the last of our original main cast take their leave of the station. Dr. Franklin leaves MedLab in the capable hands of Dr. Hobbs, and Delenn and John move to the new Alliance headquarters on Minbar. With Talon taking over for Jakar, every command and ambassador-level position on B5 is now filled by someone new. The trip to Minbar is somewhat eventful, though, with Sheridan almost dying and Lanier almost letting him. A very poor choice in a very weak moment. In the end, they arrive safely to find Londo there to congratulate them and give them a gift for their unborn child. A gift that happens to have a dreaded keeper inside. Just waiting. And then there's a really nice speech about uh, Sheridan talking to his future child, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I think I would like to start with Lanier because, wow, We've quite been a waiting turn. for this. <laughs> Yep. Um, Yeah, I'm curious to hear how you guys feel about this now versus when you first watched uh, Inside Baseball for people who are watching along for the first time. We've talked about this quite a bit in spoiler space and and sort of have been looking for for cues and stuff. And I want to know how this has all played out for you two now that we have gotten to the moment and seen what he what he did or didn't do. 
Yeah, let's 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 recap that just a bit for the people who've been um, good about avoiding spoilers, um, including uh, Stephen. Knowing that Lanier was going to do this in Objects at Rest, and knowing that this was certainly controversial, there's even been a recent, uh, at the time we record this, there's a recent uh, story at, I can't remember which uh, web magazine had it, but an interview with uh, several cast and uh, production staff from B5. Billy Moomy was not happy about this turn for Lanier and he was not happy about this plot line in um in season in season five um so we've been watching all along for the stuff that had been seeded throughout to indicate that Lanier might be capable of having a moment of inaction where he puts Sheridan's life at risk that's sort of been what we've been in retrospect was JMS able to seal the deal because for a lot of people watching at the time who didn't take obsessive notes about Babylon 5 from week to week or weren't watching it like we were with the intent to dissect it <laughs> a lot of people just forgot the little looks that Lanier gave over the years the moments that betrayed how he really felt I have to admit that I think that JMS did what he had to do to make this fairly plausible, especially because Lanier very, very quickly comes to himself and realizes that he's done something wrong. And then when he gets back too late, he's horrified and ashamed. So I think it works for me. Did it the first time? Not quite <laughs> the first yeah. time it felt a little bit out of the blue and Delin's speech about sometimes you forget who you were or however she put it the first time that felt like the writer is trying to explain himself and I, I still think uh Delin's speech is some of jms trying to explain himself and I think I agree with Chip that paying attention to just how far back uh, a lot of these hints have been dropped, it's more plausible. I would be curious to investigate and see sort of what this plan was if um, JMS had had, you know, his full five seasons and had been able to pace things a little bit more to his liking. If this had happened a little earlier to give us a little bit of time to maybe, you know, see contact from Lanier or something. Something to show Sheridan being able to come around to forgiving him, which we have no time for at this point, you know, nor should we expect it at this point. But yeah, th this time around, watching for it, it is more plausible than I remember it feeling at the time. Yeah, I I hated hated it the first time <laughs> the first time through because I really loved Lanier and I at, at and I've said this in spoiler space at, at that time in my life when I was watching Babylon Five I didn't really understand the whole concept of like the uh, the the nice guy who's actually pretty entitled and is letting his entitledness uh, get the better of him. Um, that's a that's a thing that I understand very well at this point in my life. Uh, <laughs> but at the time, it just I, none of the sort of red flags that I've seen this time watching through none of those stood out to me. It just to me, it just he was a lovesick puppy. And and he 
was sad. Um, this time through, it was much clear to me that, it, that basically from the moment that he left for ranger training, he was doing things for the wrong reasons and becoming more and more sort of bitter and hardened and just unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And while I still, I still don't think that it felt entirely natural, and maybe that was a little bit of uh, Bill Mooney's hesitance coming mm-hmm. through Maybe. that the uh, the performance didn't quite feel as natural as a lot of Lanier has mm-hmm. has felt cuz Bill Mooney is a good actor and I feel like the Lanier has been just top notch in terms of performance in a lot of episodes of Babylon 5 but here that just it didn't feel natural um, which maybe is okay because that's not really a natural thing for Lanier to do as even he points out when he turns around and comes back but uh mm-hmm. so it's it's not something that I'm Entirely in love with as a character turn, especially with the timing of it being in the second to the last episode of the yeah. series. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Shannon. If if this would have happened earlier and we could have seen some of the fallout, that would have maybe made it feel better. But uh, I can tell you that our control group really hated it. He mm-hmm. just he thought it was dumb. He just didn't didn't get it. And I kind of pointed out some of the stuff that I that I had witnessed in, in the, some of the stuff that I just said. And he was like, yeah, maybe. But it just it didn't. It, yeah. In the context of the rest of this episode, which he described as a 45 minute fade out, um, it just <laughs> it, it didn't really seem like a thing that he was excited about in any way, shape or form. And I'm not surprised by that. Um, and mm-hmm. I think part of it is the sharpness of the turn. And part of it is that you know, you've really got to be scorekeeping to really keep track of what takes Lanier up to this point. The thing mm-hmm. that I had forgotten and makes this plausible, makes this work better for me, isn't so much what Lanier does. It's what he says afterward in his goodbye message to Delenn. Mm-hmm. Because he talks about not what he did, but about what happened. Mm-hmm. And he talks about his shame and his and his sorrow and his regret that this happened. Um, but he's still in a bit of denial as right. though something right. took him over rather than him choosing Acting. something. And, 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 yeah. yeah, and maybe it's and maybe it's easy to easier to do that when the thing that could have killed Sheridan was purposeful inaction as opposed to shooting him with a PPG or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, that pro- possibly gave him a little bit of room to, if not rationalize, just to avoid fully coping. You know, he's running away in shame, but he's running away to try to find a way to redeem himself and to win Delin's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That tells you that this is a person who is still messed up and yeah, yep. his it's, guilt it's still and all about sorrow. Her. Yeah. His guilt and sorrow, he, he, you know, he he thinks it's all about her. Right, right. But it really is to that, you know, and you you hate feeling this about Lanier because Lanier has been noble. He has done all of the right things. He is at heart a good person. But here is an area where he suffers from, I don't know if you want to call it toxic masculinity or entitlement or whatever, but this is an area that especially after the wedding just John Sheridan was living rent free in his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yep. And and we do also get the lines sort of right after with Delenn talking about how they searched his quarters back mm-hmm. uh, in his training, uh, where he'd been doing his training and found his journals, which had, you know, yeah, they didn't use the word screeds, but I'm <laughs> lots of stuff about how how it was a, a mistake for them for their union and mm-hmm. that they shouldn't be together. And I mean, th- that's just just shades of the kind of stuff that you hear in the news these days um, about, you know, Boys and young men who really feel like they are entitled to the affections of of a girl and they don't get it and then do something unfortunate. So, yeah, it was it, it hit a lot closer to home watching it now than it did at, mm-hmm. the, at the time, because, as I said, I had no experience with uh, with the sort of the darker side of the quote unquote nice guy. And uh, and unfortunately, I think that that that's exactly what uh, well, Lanier has become. And you're so right, Chip, that he He's not actually taking responsibility for his own actions. He feels bad about it. He definitely feels sorrow and shame, but he's not taking responsibility. And to leave something like that just sort of dangling and hanging in the second to the last episode of a series that I really, really love is that's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, the Lanier that we knew in seasons one through four Mm -hmm. would have stayed and face the consequences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I mean, it's, it's, it's in, a, in a way, it's kind of a nice thing that Babylon 5 has always done a, a pretty good job of reflecting the reality of, of people, of characters, and how people can change. And this is, this is absolutely true. You can have somebody who is really good and really kind, and something happens, and things start to shift, and they become a, a slightly different person. And, and in that way, I think that it's nice to see that it's sort of a, a mirror for something that can happen in real life. I just, I, I just keep coming back to the timing of it. And maybe it is because season five was sort of... A, morphed out of out of phase a little bit yeah and i think that's the sticking point is the timing jms is willing to show people changing for the better you know as we've seen like you know jakar and londo from how they began to the motivations for their actions at the end you know those are people who have an who have advanced incredibly and then we get you know somebody like lita who who advanced and then declined and now we've got you know a lanier who was always steady and strong and got as a stronger as a character. And then this is a decline. But, you know, in this case, it's so sudden and sharp to the viewer's eyes, especially if the viewers were not picking up the clues, the pieces that JMS built in about just how deep Lanier's obsession is. couple of notes. Uh, in the aforementioned uh, recent article where several of the cast and crew were interviewed, Bill Moomy said that he gave JMS the idea early in season one that Lanier was infatuated with Delenn or was in mm-hmm. love with Delenn mm-hmm. and that supposedly JMS ruminated on that a bit and said yep we're going to do that this wasn't a living breathing part of the five-year arc but there were a lot of things that JMS changed mm-hmm. along the way and things like that so there we go the other thing in that article Mumi complains that it's atypical it's not something that Lanier would have done because there was another guy in the room mm-hmm. there that would have died as well and I'd read that before rewatching for the podcast, and then we see that scene, and I don't think Lanier's got a clear look at the... Yeah, I'm not uh, sure he knew. Yeah. Bill Moomy, the yeah. actor, knows that there is another character in there. I think all that Lanier sees is Sheridan. Yeah. I completely agree. I was watching for that, too, and there's so much sort of, like, you know, smoke coming out of, or steam coming out of the, the 
yeah. opening And Lanier's not looking anywhere near the floor. He's just looking nope. straight at Sheridan's face. That's all he's yeah. seeing. And it's not that light in there and the angles. Yeah, yeah I, I don't think. And I, I do think that if Lanier had noticed that there was another person, that, that yeah, that he, he would have. I, f- I feel like Bill Mooney's got a, a good argument there. It's just that the way that it was, not necessarily the way it was scripted, but the way that it was shot and directed, that's that's not a thing his character could have known. Yeah. Uh, well, I do want to give a quick shout out. Um, I thought Box Leitner did particularly well conveying, you know, there was not much dialogue between them, especially after Lanier comes back and sees him. He's gotten pulled out, gotten himself out and is being treated. Just the, the look of utter disbelief and betrayal on Sheridan's face. He's still mm-hmm. absorbing and processing that this just happened. Um, and I think that he did a really good job. I feel like Box Leitner had sort of a tour de, fo- de force f- from beginning to end of this episode. Absolutely True. agree. He was just spot on from the very opening sequence with him talking to Captain Lockley yeah. and the mixed emotions that he had about leaving the station to to the dinner with Londo to him at the end, you know, recording mm-hmm. stuff for his child. I just it, yeah, this was this was fantastic. And speaking of Londo, he really wanted a drink so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh, think I missed that the first time around. Uh, me too. This mm-hmm. time around, paying attention, and I'm just like, oh, wow, missed yeah. opportunity. There is something going on here that he really, really wants to stop and can't. Yeah. Yeah. Tour de force from uh, Peter Jurisic as well. Like his... The last episode we saw him in, um, the last episode we saw him doing very much in, it was it was consistently, Londo has no choice. Londo has no choice. Londo has no choice. And here he is. And again, he has no choice. He has to do what he's being forced to do. And the one way that he, he thinks maybe he can get around it is by celebrating with some bravari or anything. And then, and I was, I was thinking, oh, yeah, they got to have something around until Sheridan... Yeah, Sheridan reminded me alcohol is is very dangerous and bad for Mimbari. So no, no, he couldn't get out of it that way. And just the the resignation on his face as mm-hmm. he is is handing over this gift. Wow. Yeah. yeah. An- another moment in this episode that really puts the pain to what Londo's uh, going through is that last scene on the Centauri cruiser. Which, of course, he's at the window just like he was at the bombing <laughs> mm-hmm. of Narn. That yep. is not an accident. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when the Drock through the Keeper tells them that he's done well, and we're going to give you an hour. Yeah. That is that is actually one of the most cruel things I can imagine. And, of course, he's going to take the drink because, of course, he wants an hour to have the Keeper out of his head. Uh, but the fact that the Drock think so little of him and yeah, and and are, and are content to give him that that moment of kindness because they they know that he's under their thumb regardless. Um, that he has done something that is apparently going to have horrible horrible repercussions sixteen years mm-hmm. down the line. And you know, yes, you you the implication is you have ruined this child's life, has the, his adulthood, and you know, here have an hour for yourself. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great performance by Peter Jurisic. It is a very, very sobering look at what has happened to Londo. Talking about how his associates won't allow him to drink. Uh, mm-hmm. He's flanked by the two guards as if he's a prisoner. 
the valet or whatever who gives him the drink uh, on the observation deck of that cruiser, I'm presuming that he can see the keeper. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. if we can see the keeper, he can see the keeper. And I've just got to assume that uh, either that guy's got a keeper on him as well or he just doesn't care. And that's, that's just an Just following place. orders. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, the scene just before he leaves where Londo says, you know, that they'll always be friends. Uh, just I just I wanted to cry, especially after the the beginning of the dinner scene when Delenn is just like she is still pissed and she is mm-hmm. not uh, not going to quite let him just swoop back in and and pretend that they're all buddy buddy after the way that he he acted previously. And, you know, John's a little bit more of a softy, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then, when he leaves, and when he leaves, and when he talks to them about how important this time has been for him, they're both kind of in disbelief at what they've experienced. They still yeah. sense that something is not entirely right. Mm-hmm. And yep. I and I think that that's I, I think that's a good touch as far as the script and direction are concerned. Uh, you know, again, we've only got one more episode of this show, and so much is laid down for us in these last few episodes. It's an interesting decision, and I do think it communicates the, you know, JMS's thesis of the episode is life goes on even when you're not looking at it. Mm-hmm. There's a place for, you know, the further adventures of Babylon 5, spinoff material. No. Spinoff series, mm-hmm. books, comics, whatever. There's also, you know, your own imagination. The fanfic. You know, the mm-hmm. further adventures of Babylon 5, this episode actually gives you room for that stuff, even if it's only in your own head. And we also, we even get kind of a nice little little goodbye that sort of leaves things open-ended a little bit from Jakar with an interesting directorial flourish. We have the, the message that he started recording in the previous episode that we didn't know who it was going to be for. Now we get to see it. It's actually mm-hmm. for Talon, who broke into his a- apartment <laughs> in order to mm-hmm. in order to access it, and and then it it switches from from being him on the screen to him standing next to Talon, but not looking at him. They were both still looking forward at the camera. How did you guys feel about a the speech itself and b the way that it was pr- portrayed on screen? I thought the speech itself was excellent. Um, the, that it felt very much like Jakar to, um, lay it all out, anticipate Talon potentially asking, you know, why, why me? Why would you pick me to do this? The idea that the Narm people need people who will push them to action and circumstances have driven him to a point where he cannot accomplish that anymore. So, you know, here, Talon, you are more warrior than priest. You, you understand what I'm trying to do, but you are in a position to act. So um, that worked very, very well for me. I understand why they chose to do the direction the way they did, um, rather than have, you know, Talon continue to look at a screen and all you get to see is Jakar's head. Um, It it gave Andreas Katsoulis much more room to really uh, deliver effectively. Um, It still threw me out of the story a bit. I liked it. I liked it a lot. (laughs) Yes, it is artificial. It is, uh, you are watching two different times in the same space. And I'm okay with that because it gives us Andreas Katsoulis on the set rather than on a screen. And Mm -hmm. it is an illustration 
you know, the only thing that could have made it more a torch passing scene is if there had been an actual torch on the set. <laughs> very true. Yep. I I I liked I very much liked the fact that they they made him corporeal instead of just being on the screen because uh and I wonder if it, because when he was on the screen even the sound was a little bit crackly and it wasn't a great picture mm. and I wonder if they like derezzed that a little bit and made it even mm. even worse just to to give you a greater uh, juxtaposition when he's when he's real i think it, i would have been okay with it the the thing that felt so artificial to me is the fact that the two of them were just standing next to each other if they mm-hmm. would have had him sort of like corporeally just stand in front of the screen so that at least they were looking at each other i felt maybe it wouldn't have uh wouldn't yeah. have struck me as as quite so off yeah but bless marshall teague he was he was he was doing his mm-hmm. best to you know sort of you know listening and reacting face while sitting next yep. to the guy who's supposedly talking to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, that's also feels, you know, kind of like Talon, the character himself is always kind of just listening with his head cocked just a little bit. So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So that worked. It still worked for me. Um, it didn't throw me out because, you know, Jakar is standing where he stood when he recorded it. And Talon is standing where he's standing uh, when he's listening to it. Um, I adored it. I mean, I I definitely adored the the whole message, the the speech itself, the the idea. I loved how he, he was talking about it. To be a really good ambassador, you have to be a priest and a warrior in equal measure. And Jakar has just become a little too much priest, and maybe it's time to balance the scales with somebody who's maybe a little too much warrior to start with. And and my favorite part then at the end was how he was thinking you know if you if you feel like you're not quite ready for this yeah know that i wasn't either just yeah. you know look in the station logs you you might be you might be amused <laughs> yeah yeah uh, like i just i love the idea of talon sitting down and just reading through like i can i can picture him doing his sort of quiet little laugh as he's he learns who uh who jakar really was uh to start with at the beginning of his journey mm-hmm would you like that to be, be conscious something. or unconscious at the mating? <laughs> I hope that's not in the station records. <laughs> I really hope it's not. Ugh. Jakar was a bit of a perv. That's, that's true. That is so mm-hmm. true. Dear Diary, you'll never believe what happened today. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Uh, and then other leave-taking. We have Dylan and Sheridan wanting to leave quietly. <laughs> But no, yeah, ISN. that was never going to happen. <laughs> ISN screws them over. But I, I was happy because it gave us the opportunity to see our favorite ISN anchor mm-hmm. up here one more time. Yeah, that was that, great. That was yeah, good. That was good. Uh, did you it, see? I, I did love the little opportunity of you know Sheridan stands there, straightens like he's going to say anything, and then he's just like Delenn and oh the look she shoots him. Yep. She's just like, yeah, you, you're you're going to pay for that. And then it gives, you know, Mira Furlan a chance to deliver a, a really nice speech of her own. Yeah, which yep. is really what needed to happen. Uh, if mm-hmm. for no other reason, you know, the demands of the script, Sheridan gets his monologue to his future child at the end mm-hmm. of the episode. Right. So he doesn't need to get, he, Box Leitner doesn't need to be delivering both the monologues. Mm-hmm. It's, it's Furlan's yep. time to shine. Yep. Uh, did you Chip, see? Were you about to say something about the yeah crowd scene? And did you notice that there was a curly-haired fellow in the back? Uh, you know, at uh, Sheridan's four o'clock, watching 
patiently. That was Listening. that was Peter Jurisic. Really? Out of makeup. Yeah, yeah, out of makeup. Yeah. He wanted you to know, be on noticed... set for the last for the last filming <sighs> and I feel like I noticed that guy and I didn't put it together. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. I love it. <laughs> and I do I like too how the crowd was just they were just quiet and respectful and it, you know they they still technically got to leave quietly because there mm-hmm. wasn't like big cheering and fanfare and you know th- throwing confetti and all that kind of stuff it was just people just a parted for speech. them yeah mm-hmm. and they just they were able to to walk through yeah. whereas yeah. dr franklin just leaves by himself which that made me a little yeah, sad yeah that but that's his yeah. style yeah, it also made me a little sad, but it was a really nice touch um, after Franklin talks to Dr. Hobbs and explains why he wants her taking over med lab and sees Sheridan and is, you know, OK, I've got to you know go catch him and how that is just her observing them as as they mm-hmm. talk and then walk away together that we don't get to hear the exchange, um, but we can see in their body language. Yeah, but we've we've already had a bit of a parting scene between uh, Franklin and Sheridan true. when yeah, Franklin true. gave him the news that he was going to leave. So uh, I do want to uh, note that we we get Dr. Hobbs back. We haven't seen her since interludes and examinations all the way back when Franklin was strung out on stems and hollering the wrong instructions on uh, how to save somebody's mm-hmm. life. And Hobbs was the one who stood up to him in that episode and yep. then refused to hand over the logs to Garibaldi, but did tell Garibaldi where he could find them. I almost wish that the episode had made a little bit more of who she was. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to pay attention to know how important it is that he named her uh, chief, yeah. ma- her his successor. Yeah. yeah. Stephen was like, we, have we seen her before? She's kind of familiar. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. yep, yep, we have. So... So, yeah, yep. she was it was a, a while back. And actually, speaking of replacements, I, I realized watching this episode that in a way it took two people to replace Mr. Garibaldi. When you think about it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> hmm. yep. Because you have yeah. Zach. Zach as his replacement, you know, for security chief. And yes, he's been in that position for a while. And then he also had his job as the head intelligence officer. And now we've got uh, Marjorie Monahan's character, who is still credited as number one, but has a name Tessa. Uh, right. Yes. Who's doing a great job? Yeah. Oh, um, is there anybody else that... And Veer. I mean, we get the quick shot of, you know, the, the yeah, two new ambassadors of... very briefly. Yeah, we didn't get enough yeah. of Veer today. Yeah. I would have liked more. Yeah, that that would have been nice. I mean, I'm, it, w- it was kind of neat that the one scene that we did get him in where he had dialogue, it was him interacting with the new Narn ambassador. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, him being fear, it was a very friendly exchange. And I just, uh, there's a part of me that wants to think that that at least bodes well for those two characters. That right. in in the future, that maybe they'll they'll get along okay, even if Centauri Prime is, is still going to continue on the, uh, the, the path of isolationism that... Uh, that Londo had, and the, the Drock have set them upon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it occurs to me that whoever our new Mimbari ambassador is, we don't know who they are, I don't believe. Yeah, that's the one... That's the one. That's the one figure that's left out of that shot. <laughs> that shot. Yes. That's the one thing I remembered very clearly about this episode. How did that hit you guys? Tears. I- I, I heard the I heard the Kleenex being drawn out of the box behind me. 
and I didn't turn because my lips they were a quivering. Yeah, I I legit sobbed. I and I wasn't expecting to. And I mean it's I think I had remembered it being closer to the end of the episode just because it felt so dramatic right. and final. But it's yeah. not. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was, you know, another interesting thing about the the whole episode is, you know, like their departure you would think would be the last thing of this episode and no we've still got several things uh left to happen once they leave the station and and it struck me as interesting that you know once sheridan and delenn leave the station we don't go back to the station at all no we're for done. the rest of the episode mm-hmm. that, that 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 part's done yeah i feel like i was glad of that because i wouldn't mm-hmm. want anything else on the station after that amazing pan that shot right exactly right. and 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 when Sheridan gives the order to come about and head to the jump gate, you know, the station just, there's no sentimentality to it. The station just falls away out of the viewports of the White mm-hmm. Star, and that's it. And that's actually perfect. Yep. Life um, goes on. I I cried the first time I saw that shot. I cried this time. Intellectually, you know that, you know, the further adventures of Babylon 5... You know, you wouldn't want another five-year arc or five-year series of Captain Lockley and Lieutenant Corwin and Talon and Veer and Number One. And, you know, these characters, they're not as established. They are not as meaningful as the characters that we've just said goodbye to. And I don't know what many of those actors have gone on to do, but I compare those actors to the regulars who Mm -hmm. uh, carried us through for the five years and, you know— the ones who are staying are not the equal of the ones who are leaving. All that being said, though, the message of that shot is life goes on. And the note that JMS gave Christopher Franke on the music cue for that scene is break our hearts. And <laughs> that music cue just absolutely succeeds at that. But it is a majestic music cue. There's a bit of triumph to it. Life goes on. Babylon 5 goes on. There are people waiting to do your work once you leave. That is powerful. And um, Mm -hmm. there's no better way to leave a job than to know that you left it in good hands and people are going to pick up and run with it. I I cried. That's all I can Mm -hmm. say is I cried. Yep. Anything else before we do our Stephen check-in? To me, feels like objects in motion and objects at rest are very much sort of like a unit with some of the things that go on that started in the first one that happened in the second one. And I think one of the bigger ones is we do get the brief catch up with Garibaldi. We had, you know, in the previous episode, all of the tangles about Lise getting shot and uh, the two of them returning to Mars. And then, you know, Garibaldi fires the entire board going to shake things up and we get this one little glimpse of just how much he's going to shake things up because hey guess what his new board is every problem person that was in that (laughs) company um i i really am glad that we got to see just enough of garibaldi to know that yeah he's gonna be fine especially given just how much through the ringer he was put through in you know seasons four and five I, I do like that he wants people who are willing to stand up to him and tell him yes. when he gets things wrong. That's, that shows a level of self-awareness that makes me happy. Along yes. with a promise that if he is right, and they challenged him uh, and they fail. You know, he, he, you know, there's an implicit threat 
there as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it does play a little bit into JMS's, um, you know, he, he he's always seen himself as a troublemaker and the studio's worst enemy when TNT gave him notes for the follow-up series Crusade, uh, and he reacted very poorly to those notes. This is the guy who is going to, of course, write a scene where the organization is <laughs> going to be saved by the troublemakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, funny. Not Yeah. It, 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 there's no subtlety here at all. The last thing that I want to say, and it is personal, is that this, the scene, the closing scene of this episode really moved me. Um, as uh, Sheridan sort of gives his message to his child that he's not going to see turn 21 because of Lorian's promise um, at the beginning of season four. So that was affecting. So January 2002, the night before we took Shannon to the hospital for a planned induced delivery for our child, we set up a video camera. We set it up in my office and in the living room of our apartment at the time, and Shannon and I recorded our own messages for our kid for his 18th birthday before he'd been born. It was powerful uh, when I watched it on B5, and I hope what we had to say to our son a year and a half from now, I hope it'll be even half as articulate, and I hope it actually means something. Wow, that's really beautiful. Yeah. I really hate to follow that up with our control group check-in. <laughs> well, well, let's let's just say that uh, we love this episode to bits, and we've just sort of laid that all out there. We can take it, Stephen. Go ahead. Come at us, bro. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say <laughs> I didn't love it. I'm not quite on Team Stephen. I, I felt like it was fine. There were some, some nice, beautiful moments, but it didn't really... Uh, with the exception of that shot, which we keep talking about, um, that that was the moment that really did it for me. And then everything after that was kind of either annoying, uh, linear, or just sort of, you know, nice, fine. But uh, but that was not that was not Stephen's um, experience. He 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 did like that shot uh, quite a bit. He thought he recognized that as possibly a direct. Uh, on purpose homage to the very last shot of the pilot episode, which I am unbe- like I can't believe that he remembered that. But where you have huh. um, um, what's her name, Ta- Takashima? Laura Takashima. Takashima. Yes. When you have Takashima saying Babylon Five is online, and then like it zooms like out from from the window, um, and he just felt like this was a, a visual parallel to that moment, which hmm. I can't believe he remembers. Um, so he thought that not only was that a cool cool thing to pan across all these new faces, but to have that little bit of a visual echo was was a neat thing. He also said, he's like, you know what? They could have just shown the telepath, and they would have hit bingo. Um, there wasn't <laughs> there wasn't even, like, in the flashback seat, like the uh Yeah, the, the I montage, noticed that. There was no Lita. Um, which... I think that was deliberate. I mean, I think that was sort of part of the point of the how far she has fallen idea mm-hmm. um, that, you know, Sheridan is reminiscing and thinking about people that, you know, he is caring about that he sees as part of his future, yep. you know, one or the other or both. And I don't think Lita falls into either category anymore, which is a shame. But, mm-hmm. you know, like we said, JMS isn't always kind to his characters. Yep. Not everybody gets a happy ending. But uh, yeah, he just even just looked at me and just said it was just 
kind of a bunch of nothing, to be honest. It was kind of disappointing. Mm. He's like, they tried to craft some incident with Lanier as the main dramatic thrust, but there just wasn't a lot that went on. So he was just kind of shrugging and meh about it. The one thing that he did like was was the fact that they were leaving Babylon 5 in good hands, that it's it's still there. There's all new people. Uh, mm-hmm. He thought that was kind of neat. So he definitely picked up on the whole life goes on theme of the episode. And he appreciated that theme of it. But it just felt like a, a bit of a fizzle, I think, for him. Mm-hmm. Which is fair. Which is fair. Like I said, I, I probably yeah. land about halfway between there and and loving it. So I understand. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and uh, and yeah, we, we are very swiftly approaching the end, but we still do have some homework for you. Um, as it's we a little alluded different. To, yeah, as I, we alluded to <laughs> earlier, I'm afraid we are not watching the final episode for next time. Because yeah, there's one more TV movie to cover before we wrap things up. Yeah, Um, we talked about it in the spoiler space at some length, but here's the thing. The TV movie that is coming up, River of Souls, actually aired earlier in the season on TNT, a couple of months prior to Objects at Rest and the series finale. JMS's original plan was to run this TV movie just a few days before the finale. They had a deal to make two more TV movies, this and the backdoor pilot movie for the sequel series crusade and this would have dropped according to his original plan right about now and we're going to follow the original plan yep (laughs) we sure are (laughs) yep so um, committed to this way 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 back when we committed to this (laughs) when we didn't start within the beginning we started with uh the gathering So, yeah. So River of Souls is uh, what to watch for next time when Shannon will lead us on that little detour. Um, of course. Hi, the- Martin Sheen. <laughs> of course, in the meantime, you are welcome to join us at B5AudioGuide.com, where our spoiler-free chat threads are becoming less and less relevant. Soon, our spoiler-filled chat threads will be fair game for our control group. I'm, he's very excited about that. So <laughs> you can also still say hi on Twitter and Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide. And now, I assure you, we will pass this way again. But as this is my last time moderating this podcast for a while, I just want to take the opportunity to say that this podcast, this podcast with you, means more to me than you will ever know. And with that... Let's head through one of our very last jump gates into spoiler space. Take us away. Now who's getting all feely? <laughs> I know. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and really all that's coming is a movie and, uh, uh, you know, uh, a movie. And, and a coda. And a coda. Oh, like... Those are my sound effects for those two things. And eh, and an aww. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> a lot of the things that we are sort of complaining about uh, in uh, for Objects at Rest, you know, the fact that it's not as impactful as it could have been, I think it's entirely because of the kind of story that we're going to get for Sleeping in Light. Mm-hmm. And he knew that this would be the follow. This would be the episode that aired before Sleeping in Light. Yep. It's like, you know, taking a breath before Mm -hmm. the big exhale, the calm before the storm, if you will. Yeah. So we uh, I think we alluded to this in previous spoiler spaces, though. But how do you all think about the keeper in David's urn? 
uh, Lanier going off uh, to in search of redemption and things like that. You know, even if we'd gotten five years worth of Crusade uh, and we did get novels and things like that, was it actually a good idea to have those seeds or have those ominous bits in there that that well most people for most people were never resolved well i mean on the one hand and i was debating whether or not to bring this up before the jump gate the at least the keeper part seems the audience knows that something got resolved in war without end that's true our son is 20 safe. years down the line our son is safe so you know i this is almost like JMS inserting, you know, hey, you know, remember that? This is why she said that. So, you know, that one does not bother me quite as much. The linear thing bothers me uh, because we do not get a, a good resolution to that. Um, if I remember correctly, we just get... I'm trying to remember what... Does Dylan just remember Lanier as someone who died in Sleeping in Light with she the implication that... She does, and uh, yeah. there would have been a scene in the unproduced Crusade episode, Value Judgments, in which mm -hmm. the the same flashback to the destruction of Psychor headquarters that would have featured uh, Patricia Tallman in a cameo as Lita would have also featured a non-dialogue extra at the end of a hallway swinging a Minbari fighting pike and having Minbari headgear on and Lita shouting Lanier just before the thing mm. blows up. Okay. Side note, I'm really getting the feeling that JMS and Bill Mooney weren't on the greatest of terms there towards <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah. To to answer your question, I yeah, I I don't think that at least for me as a viewer, I don't like the additions of these. Like basically it's setting setting plot hooks for other things that that may or may not come. And even if they do come, it still it just it feels real kind of I don't I can't even think of the right word, but just like flashy commercialism in a way that I don't think that this show usually is. I, I it, it seemed to me like it was setting out to be this contained story that is in a universe that is much, much bigger than the story. And then suddenly at the very last moment, they go, you know what? It's not going to be an entirely contained story. We're going to leave some really, really, really big plot hooks dangling. And it's not just little plot hooks. Like like Shannon said, I, mm. I probably would have been okay with the Keeper thing. But especially when it's paired with such a such a huge shift in Lanier right at the end. Yeah, it, that does make it bigger. <laughs> yeah, just it felt really sort of commercial and, I don't know, used car salesman or something. <laughs> So, so yeah, I was. I'm. I'm not particularly happy with with that. Uh, I think it would have been much more elegant to to not have that. And then if you really wanted those those plot things to happen in future media, then you could actually set those hooks in the future media. You could you know have an episode of something later where Linear actually does something really crappy, and then we get to learn learn how he redeems himself or you know have have londo give the gift in a scene of crusade somehow i don't know but it just yeah. yeah for me it wasn't wasn't great which you know there's no control over the fact that uh, crusade was not given the chance to actually get off the ground uh, beyond mm -hmm. the episodes that were produced um that the david david's keeper stuff is dealt with in the peter david centauri prime novels but how would you know you know um yep to a certain extent, 
Garibaldi and Bester is mm-hmm. a, is a similar sort of situation. Um, you know, Lita promises that in a couple of years she'll deal with it, and absent, you know, again you're sort of depending on Crusade to have a long enough run that those stories are actually going to be produced. Yeah, and the fact that, you know, they show, you know, Garibaldi, you know, between the here's my new board and sitting there smoking cigars and looking very happily at at reports, you know, you kind of get the feeling, even though it isn't, that that's been put behind him. I mean, obviously it's not because, you know, he just knows he's got, you know, two years to get stuff done so that Lita will be pleased enough to remove the neural block for him. But, you know, in the meantime, I think, you know, the the contrast of him looking like he's landed in such a good place sort of mutes that. Uh, yeah. Kind of in a short, in a kind of a shorthand way. I agree. And if you weren't sitting on Usenet back in the day, you might have expected that the final episode of Babylon 5 might address Lanier or might address the Keeper in some way. You had to be online to know that Sleeping in Light takes place 20 years in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's this stuff is set for you. There's a, and there's a mixture of life goes on and hope that I'll get to that part of the story. And uh, only the life goes on part seems to work. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, anything else before we head on out? Sleeping in Light, I will be very curious to see how Stephen reacts to it because it is a because <laughs> it is a my fear is that he's going to react to it kind of like he reacted to Deconstruction of Falling Stars. Yep. Um, he even mentioned mm-hmm. that he's he's a little concerned that it's going to be another episode like that that's just unconnected. But it's so much more connected than Deconstruction mm-hmm. of Falling Stars was that I, I don't think it'll be that bad at least. It is so much more connected yeah. and art by accident. But the fact that Claudia Christian is back for this mm-hmm. is actually rather right. powerful. So I'm yep. looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah, he'll be thrilled with that, I think, at the very least. Yeah, it is kind of weird. You know, the credits at the end, you know, it's going to it's the credits at the end are basically season four credits. So yeah. you actually get a, Marcus actually gets a credit in in in, in the end <laughs> credits for this one, and that's just weird. It is <laughs> Marcus. Who? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, mm-hmm. it is going to feel weird having a fairly standard episode extended to a TV movie starring Jerry Doyle and Tracy Scoggins and Joshua <laughs> Cox and Jeff Conway, a Babylon Five caper. Just before, mm-hmm. just before this, and we're not going to go yeah. do Legend of the Rangers. We're not going to do all of Crusade before Sleeping in Light. We're not crazy, um, <laughs> but this is a Babylon Five TV movie that aired before Sleeping in Light. So I guess we got to do it. Yep. Thanks, you know, Jason Snell. <laughs> we, we don't gotta. We don't gotta. You know, there's a little bit of me that's that's kind of okay with it because, sort of, as Stephen pointed out, this was very much a. A 45 minute fade out and it's just you know yes it's nice that they're sort of putting everything to bed but before we see that final you know 19 20 years down the road thing i kind of appreciate the opportunity to get a little bit of a reminder of what babylon 5 used to be 
Like it's a reminder of of a little bit like more old school. It's a standalone thing, you know, like you used to get in seasons one and two. And and I think it's not necessarily a bad thing to to leave us as as the podcasters and and the listeners with with a little bit of a of a reminiscence of the type of thing that we used to get way back when. Will you still feel that way when you see holographic Tracy Scoggins in the corset? I actually don't remember that, so I'll have to get back to you. <laughs> All I remember is Martin Sheen, and I don't remember that fondly, so I'm not looking forward. <laughs> but you know, we'll get, we'll get through it together. Uh, just just like we've gotten through all of this together. And I want to thank all of you so very, very much for joining us on this incredible journey. I can't believe this is my last time at the helm. Uh, I'm getting a little emotional about it. Uh, but there are still two more episodes to come, as we've said. So I hope you will join us next time when Shannon leads us down that river of souls. Until then, this is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. Chip doesn't have to moderate River of Souls. Screw you! <laughs> and you have been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome.